You're listening to St. Pius X Catholic Church in Lafayette, Louisiana. Thank you for joining us. Just a few housekeeping notes before begin the homily. Uh, we're still having some difficulties with the sound system, I think particularly in the Marian transept, so I'll apologize to you guys first if you can hear me. You can, I see some smiles. Uh, just so you know, uh, all of the homilies are recorded. And so if you would like to go listen, uh, they are on the website. And sometimes I speak too fast and that becomes an issue. And, uh, but also if we miss parts of the sound, you can go back and it's worth the 10 or 12 minutes. Uh, that's great. I am very happy when people complain that they sometimes miss parts of my homily because to me what it means, they want to hear it. And so that's kind of nice, you know? You're not going to get a complaint from someone who wants to just drift off. But today we celebrate the feast day of St. Pius. We do not get to do this very often. And so it fell on a Sunday and we have the option of raising it up to take the place of our usual Sunday mass. And the feast of St. Pius and his life and what he did as Pope works really, really well with what we've been doing on discipleship. So, and also it's very, very applicable to today's day and age, we'll mention in just a minute. But St. Pius X, he served as Pope from 1903 to 1914. And he was really a Pope who was transitional in a sense. We were just as a world, or the Western world anyway, coming off the heels of the Industrial Revolution. In the Industrial Revolution, meaning the use of tools in manufacturing and those kind of things, brought unprecedented wealth, unprecedented increases in the standard of living, and made life a lot easier for a lot of people. We kind of learned how easy life is for us during the pandemic when we had to do without, when supply chains kind of broke down and factories couldn't get parts, right? Well, before there were factories, didn't have to worry about that. You just had to get the stuff yourself. And so it brought with it though, an understanding, and this is where he's quite prophetic, that we as a human race would become more educated and we would have more time to examine, hopefully our faith first and foremost, but also the things of the world. So science also began to take off and to grow in our knowledge of different things scientifically. And what he did is he laid the framework for what happened during the 20th century in many things, including Vatican II, and in canon law, which of course is near and dear to my heart. And he laid the groundwork also for pointing out the dangers that can occur as we became more and more educated. And what he said was that we cannot separate, we cannot separate effectively faith and reason for our lives as Catholics. And that's very much what's happening today in many ways. And we're seeing sometimes the absurd consequences of separating not only faith and reason, which is the name of an encyclical John Paul the Great wrote, by the way, in moving along the foundation of what St. Pius provided, but also 
it allows, sorry, it prevents us from having the fullness of truth. And sometimes even today, science and science is separated. You know, in today's world, you know, biology and anthropology and maybe the mental health sciences are being separated and there's no sense of truth. And we're seeing that played out locally at our high school right now to some extent. But St. Pius X laid the groundwork for studying sacred scripture and saw the dangers of individual interpretation of that as we became more educated, laying out the parameters, how do we do that right? Because people became more literate and more educated. You know, as St. Peter says in his second letter, he's talking about St. Paul and he's right. Sometimes scripture is hard to understand. You know, it is divinely inspired, but it's hard to understand. So when we're dealing with an illiterate primarily group of the faithful, there's an explanation that's needed, right? And there are all sorts of different secular sciences, maybe say literature, where we would look at what is the author trying to convey? Is it in hyperbole? Is it in narrative? Is it in metaphor? All of these things that we take into consideration, but without separating it from the teachings that have been handed down to us that we know are the truth called the magisterium. So that we don't go off in a way that is erroneous. And so as we've been working through this, our discipleship series, call it a series, now I've mentioned that a great image is Jesus as the lifeguard. And I'd mentioned that I was young. And again, if you want the full image, go back to last week. I think it did it almost completely. But when I was a kid, I went out further than I was supposed to go on a raft. About 10, I think. I know it was before we moved to Mississippi. And so there I am, and I'm on a raft, and I go out further than I'm supposed to go, and I can't get back. Whatever it was, the undertow or, or the pushing out, I couldn't get back. And, you know, I began to get worried. Initially, I didn't care. But then I was like, I can't get back. And so, of course, fear began to enter my mind, and I started waving for the lifeguard. I didn't want to wave for Dad because <laughs> I had gone further than I was supposed to go. You know, waving for the lifeguard. Finally, the lifeguard sees me. He comes out. And he tells this our Jesus image, the lifeguard, the rescuer. And so the first thing he says to me is, he's, get off the raft. You know, and, and the beautiful thought of, what do we say to a child at times and what Christ says to us, let me have you. Let me have you. And so I get over the fear of getting off the raft. I trust the lifeguard. And... I get to go into his arms. And then he says, not only let me have you, but do what I say. Do what I say. Listen to what I say. Where have we heard that before, huh? Maybe at the transfiguration, maybe at Jesus' baptism. Do as I say. At that point, I have no choice. I'm not getting back to shore by myself. And I'm recognizing that first I had done wrong. These are the elements of humility. I'd done wrong, I'd sinned, I'd gone, I'd been disobedient. I knew I was helpless, that I couldn't get back myself. And I knew that in getting back, I wasn't God, that the one who could get me back was the lifeguard. And so the lifeguard takes me in his arms and he says, listen to me, relax. Almost want you to go dormant. Kind of like what we think of in baptism, an old life leaving, a new life beginning. I trust and I submit or surrender to him. And then he begins to take me to shore. 
And that's where we get to the lesson of discipleship today and the problem with maybe too much education and being too smart for our own good is as we're on the way, we know that this relationship with the lifeguard is going to change, it's going to develop as we move to shore. Hey, what's your name? Jim, what's your name? Johnny. You know, maybe he doesn't have to hold me as tight. I'm not as worried. But we know that in that relationship, in our relationship with God, it's always based in freedom. Therefore, I can leave the lifeguard. And so on the way to shore, maybe I'm getting in the way of our life. We're beginning to get bigger, beginning to get stronger. We're beginning to maybe see a place that we want to go on the way back to the shore. Maybe we even think it's better. And so maybe we say, hey, enough of the lifeguard. I see this over there. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. So we take off and we go. And we may appear to be just fine. We're talking about years in the sense of a lifetime as opposed to just getting to shore. It appears to be just fine. I'm swimming. Maybe I'm in a place where I've grown tall enough to I can stand above water. Maybe I don't sense anything wrong at all. I'm, I'm doing good. Maybe I'm staying away from sin, but I'm not doing what the lifeguard said. I'm not doing what the lifeguard said. And in our gospel reading today, it highlights that very danger in what I consider to be the scariest words in sacred scripture. Actually, I saw an article this morning as I was researching it. It said, these are the scariest words in sacred scripture. And it says, he will open and say to you in reply, I do not know where you are from. Basically meaning, I don't know you. I don't know you. And you will say, I will say, we ate and drank in your company and you taught in our streets. Then he will say again, basically, I do not know where you are from. And so when we think of the lifeguard taking us to shore, we can't become untethered to the lifeguard. We can't separate ourselves from the lifeguard or we lose the relationship with the lifeguard. And then we're doing what we want, not what the lifeguard wants. And we're living our own life, not a life in Christ. And we are allowing ourselves to go out and do all these wonderful things maybe, and the world may very much applaud them, but it's not what God wants. And that's where we have to have that relationship with him that allows him to lead us and guide us. And sometimes those things are counterintuitive. The example in the, in the lifeguard image was, you know, sometimes the lifeguard will grab you and he'll say, as a wave is coming maybe, you know, go down, go under it. And, you're like, no, I, I want to keep my head above water. I want to breathe. I'm not going under, I'm going up. So no, 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 hold your breath, go down just for a second. And obviously we all know those who have been to a beach, the wave is coming, it's a lot easier to just go under, let the wave pass and go up than to try to fight the wave. Or maybe it's a direction that is not as comfortable to get back to the shore. He's going the long way, maybe keeping us from danger. Say, no, no, no I don't want to go that way. So we move off on our own and we go where we want. And what we can do is fool ourselves into thinking that we are in control. We are the ones who are not helpless. We are okay. When in reality, we're just not living a life in Christ, which continues to require our humility. That is, that we are sinners, that we are helpless, and that Christ is the one to show us the way. 
It gets complicated in the discernment of these things, things that appear to be good, but maybe are not where we want to be. It can happen in the family. I use the example sometimes where maybe someone is developing professionally and they get a great job in another place, but they have children and a family. And maybe they say, you know what? Our kids are growing up fine. We've got enough. We're content. Maybe we don't go for that. Maybe we don't go for that promotion. Maybe that's a worldly thing that will upset the family. And they're growing and developing really well. But sometimes we move away from the things of the world, hopefully, in order to allow the things of Christ to develop within us. And I know many who have done that, many, many good things. But that's our job, is to discern those things. What's good for us, what's good for our families, what's important. Maybe someone feels like they've had enough and they welcome another child into the world because, you know, it's a lot of work, but it's an intrinsic good, another soul. It's what God is leading us to do. And so we open our hearts to be expanded by him. You know, a lot of those things that the world would say, hey, just make your own decision, where we would say, wait, let's be tethered to Christ and his church and what she's teaching. And in that way, when we go to knock on the door, Jesus will know who we are because we will have been with him the entire time. And I think it's fair to say that in our lives, if all of us are honest, there have been times where we cling to the lifeguard, particularly in times of trouble. And there are times when we kind of swim off on our own and think we've got it under control. The key is for us in an active way to make sure that we're always vigilant about that relationship with Christ, that we always are able to come and hopefully receive his grace in the Eucharist. Another thing Pope St. Pius X did, by the way, was encouraging daily communion and encouraging communion for the younger, moving the age from 12 to seven. And by the way, what a beautiful thing our parish has done. We probably have 250 to 300 people a day coming to daily mass now. That is huge. That's more than some parishes in our diocese have for a weekend, coming daily. But that daily connection to Christ in prayer or in mass, or whatever it is, that's the relational element that we have to make sure we don't lose without hearing those scariest words. And if we do that, then we will know that we're always with the lifeguard who may let us do more, who may let us move around, but we'll always be tethered to him always moving in the right direction, in the direction that he wants, and we're not allowing our dimmed will to take over our lives. And so we thank Pope St. Pius for keeping us, so to speak, on the straight and narrow, helping us to understand in our education there's a wonderful opportunity for a deeper knowledge of Christ, but there's also a danger of moving away from him if we follow our own devices. And we pray that we will always stay tethered to the lifeguard, that we will make sure that that initial burst of trust remains the same all throughout our lives, young or old, and that we are able to go with him to the shore wherever he may lead us because we know in the end that's what will make us happier and that's what will bring us.